Acts chapter 4, you can be turning there if you have your Bible with you, or maybe you're uh, clicking an app, however you're getting there, Acts chapter 4 is where we will land today. And if you do not own a Bible, uh, here at Citizens, we have free Bibles in the lobby, and we would love to get a copy of God's Word um, in your hands. So if you don't yet own a Bible, please let us know, and we will get one in your hands. But Acts chapter 4 is where we will land, and if you're taking notes this morning, the title of the message is Aftershock. Aftershock. Now we know that term. We're familiar with it maybe after an earthquake. Maybe we feel not just a a literal earthquake, but something in our life happens of great magnitude, and we feel the aftershock, and and as the, the situation rings out to more days in our life, to the rest of our weeks, and what is happening in our lives. And, and really, that's what we've gotten in Acts chapter 4 as we began last week looking at Peter and John before the people, before the leaders, the religious leaders in the temple, being arrested and being questioned before them. And now they have just been released. That's where we, that's where we ended last week, right? They were released. And the arrest has to have tension in the air because this whole mission that Jesus has commissioned, his apostles to be on and his followers to be about, it's just gotten real. Because for the first time in the book of Acts, the apostles are taken before the religious leaders for not doing anything other than preaching Christ crucified and healing a lame man. man. We kind of put it in terms like this. They threw a gospel wrench into the well-oiled machine of religion. Judaism has been working, so why are you guys going to come up in here and mess it up? Because not only are you preaching, but the Lord added thousands to their numbers after that. And now the question has to be asked. These apostles were just released from jail, and what is their response going to be? What would your response be? Now, I don't know if anybody in here, we're not going to raise our hands if you have any experience in jail. I don't personally, I've come close, there was actually one time that I was getting a speeding ticket, and that's just part of my nature, and Emily was in the passenger seat, and she said, I hope they pull you out of the car and arrest you, I hope they pull you out of the car and arrest you, because she just did not like that I was getting another speeding ticket, so I almost had, you know, that, that, that occasion, but I have not been in jail, but it begs the question, what would you do if you had just gotten released from jail, especially if your charges were quote unquote bogus? See, last week we titled the sermon a prolific moment because it would be a defining moment in the apostles' ministry. Would their arrest lead to bitterness? Would it lead to, this is not what I signed up for? I know you promised this to me, Jesus, but now I'm in it and it's too much. Or would it lead to gospel rootedness that only suffering can do? I I know how I act if I feel like I'm being treated unfairly. How about you? Would their arrest lead to frustration or rootedness? Because honestly, it it was unfair. It was bogus. And today, we get to see their response. And just like last week, what we see today cannot be taught and cannot be bought. The apostles were stretched and they were challenged. And what it leads to is where we land today. And what we're going to do is just spend a few moments dissecting the prayer of the apostles and seeing how it can encourage us in our prayer life as well. So Acts chapter 4, I hope you're there. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen, but here we go, starting in verse 23. After they were released, Peter and John, maybe we're singing again, I don't know. After they were released, 
They went to their own people and reported everything to the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So everything that had taken place, they're taking it back. And when they heard this, the believers, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of this earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together and against the Lord and against the Messiah. For in fact, in both this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and your people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, now, consider their threats and grant your servants and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while stretching out your hand for healing and signs and wonders. They're being performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. You see, as we began this series just a month ago or a month and a half ago, we concluded that prayer is never our last resort, right? As soon as the disciples get to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus ascends, what do they do before they do anything for the mission of God? They join together and they pray. And we learned that prayer is not our last resort. All we can do now is pray is not in our vocabulary if we belong to Jesus. Prayer is our first line of defense. And as the apostles here in Acts chapter 4 report everything that had just happened to them, they don't get bitter, they don't get even. They get together and they pray. They don't get bitter. They don't look to get even. They don't look to overthrow the Roman government. They don't look to overthrow the religious leaders. They get together and they lift their voices to God. They get together and they pray. And so let's dissect this prayer a little bit today. Let's spend some time doing this because honestly, guys, it's not enough that we should pray. But it's really this question of how do we pray? Many of us, and, 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 and maybe you find yourself in this situation. I, honestly, I really used to be like this. If I'm opening my mouth in front of people, especially like a, a dinnertime prayer or maybe I'm just in a small group, it's awkward. I'm embarrassed. Maybe you don't have the spiritual vocabulary that you think you should have. And many of us, guys, the enemy has infiltrated our thoughts and we don't pray, not because we, we don't believe that prayer works, but just because we don't believe that we're good enough to pray. I'm going to sound stupid in front of these people. And I think what they're teaching us is, number one, that they were together, right? And what they specifically prayed may help you and may help me today. Let's look back down at it. Verse 24, did you notice the first part of their prayer? When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said this. This is how they started their prayer. Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Guys, we could say it like this, that we pray. The first step in prayer is that we pray in faith, knowing that the Lord is sovereign over all. Master, creator, the one who created everything in the ocean, in the air, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, master and creator, you are the one who has done this. And for God to be God, it means that he is sovereign over all. He is the supreme ruler over everything, and everything answers to him. He sees and he knows. The apostles deem him master and creator. And church, listen to me. 
If he is the master and he is the creator, then he sees you and he knows you. He is not somewhere out there. He is close. He is ever present. So when we pray, we take heart that we are praying to a God who is truly the master and creator of everything. But guys, not only do we believe that, we realize this, and this is good news for someone this morning. A God who is sovereign is a God who is never taken by surprise. If the Lord is the master of all, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he is sovereign, meaning that he holds everything together and is over all things, then he is never taken by surprise. The apostles being arrested was no surprise to the Lord, and they know this. Therefore, they lift their voices up. So what do you know to be true about the Lord? Start your prayers there. That's what they did. What do you know to be true about the Lord? Well, Lord, you are loving. Lord, you are kind. You are patient towards me. You are the creator. You woke me up this morning. Start your prayers there, because here's the thing, guys. You and I, bad news. We're victims of surprise. We're victims of the unknown. All of us in this moment, it would take a vibration of a cell phone and our life would change like that. All of us are victims of surprise. We're all victims of an unknown diagnosis. We're all victims of what is going to happen to him or to her. What's going to happen in this world? What's going to be the breaking news tomorrow or even this afternoon? We are victims of surprise. Our life can change like that, and at a moment's notice, we have no notice. So it should comfort us that a God who is sovereign, a God who sees you, a God who knows you, the apostles are recognizing this and saying, you are the master and creator. I'm not going to start with what I need. I start with what I know to be true, and that comforts them, and it should comfort you. It should comfort you that the God sees you and that the God that you pray for as you lift your voice is not taken by surprise. What are you going through today? And you think, man, I'm just out there. And God has forgotten me. And God is scrambling. He's not scrambling. He's not taken by surprise. He sees you. And if you're going through something today, do not leave this church without talking to someone. Because here's the good thing. We're all victims of surprise and we're all in this thing together. And so as you say, this is what's going on in my life, I can say, oh, well, that's what's going on in my life too. I don't have it all under control. But we can point one another to the God who does. This reality guides us. This reality comforts us that God is the supreme ruler of all. But notice where they go next. Let's look back down at it. Verse 25. After they pray that he is the master of everything, you said, Lord, through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage? And why do the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against the Messiah. For in fact, in this city, so once again, they're recounting what has happened. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Church, not only do we pray to a sovereign Lord who knows everything, but we pray scripture, knowing that scripture is reliable and truthful. Where did the apostles go after they recognized the sovereignty of the Lord? Psalm 2. And they recognized that through the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, that this anointed one, Lord, your anointed one, Jesus, 
was the one who went up against Pontius Pilate and Herod. And this moment, we recognize that we need to pray scripture because guess what? You don't really have to sound good in prayer or make stuff up. You can literally pray the Bible out loud just like they did. After we recognize that the Lord is sovereign over all, we know to be true of him, his love, his goodness, his, his, his creating abilities. We go to what we can read, and that is scripture, guys. You don't have to make it up. Lord, you are the one. The rulers assemble together against the Lord and against the Messiah, and then they use their brains that the Lord had given them, and they say, oh, this is the Messiah that David is talking about here. And it comforts them. The scriptures were a comfort to the early church, especially this one. Because quoting Psalm 2, the apostles are rooting their prayer in the scriptures. And through the spirit, they understand Psalm 2 to be Christ-centric. Who is David talking about in Psalm 2? And, and they've been quoting David, right? Peter has quoted David at, at the Sermon on Pentecost. We've seen the minor prophets quoted in the book of Acts. But here we know and they know that, man, what David is talking about is Jesus. And how do we know that? Well, verse 27 and 28 says that. That they take the scripture, they pray the scripture, and then they apply it back to Jesus. This Jesus, who was the Messiah, the holy anointed one. They relate this, this scripture back to Jesus, but not only do re they relate the scripture back to Jesus, they relate to Jesus in his sufferings. Because they open up Psalm 2 and they realize, why do the Gentiles plot in vain? Why do the people go against your heavenly ruler? But nevertheless, they do. And then they recount what has happened in this city just a hundred days prior. And they see that not only is Jesus the holy anointed one, but he's also the one who relates in our sufferings. You and I can take comfort in the fact that when you and I face things in our lives, we are not the first and we will not be the last. The apostles recognized what's happening to us, oh yeah, it happened to him. Jesus was taken into the courts before the apostles were. The apostles were in hiding. And Jesus was there with a few brave women. And now they recognize, oh, I, I wasn't the first. I was not the first one to do this, for it was Jesus who went before them. Church, the sovereign God who is the anointed one goes before us, and that's why we open up his word. Because we recognize, oh, all of this is about him. All of this is pointing us to him. All of this says, let's encourage one another in this. Church, do we encourage one another in the scriptures? Do we encourage one another in the comfort that Jesus goes before us, especially in our sufferings? That's a simple text. That's a simple call. That's a simple postcard that says, I see you, church. I see you, brother. I see you, sister. I see what you're going through. I think this scripture may encourage and uplift your heart this morning. Let's open it together. And when we do that, we see that it all points to him. The one who is sovereign over all, but also the one who relates to us in our sufferings. The early church prayed the scriptures. They prayed the scriptures because the scriptures are reliable and they are truthful. You can trust them. And then they end their prayer like this. Let's look back down at it, 29 through 31. And now, Lord, after they recognize his sovereignty and after they pray scripture, and now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants that they may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed throughout the, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. 
And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Church, how do we pray? We pray for more boldness in the face of opposition for the sake of mission. And that's a mouthful. We pray for more boldness in the face of opposition for the sake of mission. If we are on a mission, there is going to be opposition. There's going to be. There's going to be spiritual warfare. There's going to be things that happen in our own church that may break the church apart. There's going to be things that are opposition and come up against us. But listen, for the sake of mission, we don't pray to get out of it. We don't pray to get out of it. We pray that the Spirit would take us through it, that the Spirit would invade the, 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 the moment that we're asking for boldness. Because that's what the Lord does. That's how the Lord stretches us. And in this prayer, we are inviting the Spirit in to pray for more boldness was to say we accept that we're going to be drugged before the courts again. What led them to be drugged before the courts and arrested prior? Their boldness. And so what's happening here is they are praying for more of this because they realize we're going to be taken back into the courts. So Lord, don't take us out of it. Just give us boldness to get through it, to lead us in it, strengthen us, empower us, give us more faith. Guys, in times of suffering, my temptation and your temptation will be to get out of it. You'll want to get out of it, to go around it. But the Spirit is leading us in it because in these moments, it teaches us. And what does it teach us? What does all of this teach us? Well, it teaches us to go back to the beginning. And what does that mean? God, you are sovereign, therefore I trust you. To pray for boldness for the sake of mission against opposition means that in times of suffering, you and I can go back to the very beginning of where we started. That God, you are sovereign, therefore I trust you, especially when I feel like I'm out of control. Has anybody ever felt like their life is out of control? Has anybody's life felt like, man, I have no idea what's going on right now? There is a sovereign Lord, therefore I can trust him. And not only that, but God, you lead me in my sufferings, therefore I follow you, especially when I feel lost. Have you ever felt lost in life? Have you ever felt like you have no idea what's going to happen next? Maybe it's your job. Maybe in your job you realize, I don't know what's going to happen next. I hate this job. Lord, help me. What, I, I feel so lost. Maybe in school. You're like, is school for me? Should I be here? Maybe in your marriage you feel lost. My spouse doesn't see me and no one else does. Have you ever felt that way? You see, it's in those moments that we begin to pray like the apostles do in Acts chapter 4. That we begin to pray, Lord, I feel out of control, so I give the control to the one who actually has it. Lord, I feel like I'm lost, so I pray the scriptures and I follow Jesus. And Lord, in all of this, I know that there's mission. You've called me to make disciples. You've called me to follow you in obedience. And Lord, I know there's opposition, but give me boldness. Don't get me out of it, but be in it with me. And in opposition, we pray for boldness. And this kind of prayer, guys, it shakes the walls, literally. Aftershocks, right? We've already seen tongues of fire. We've seen the disciples and the apostles gather in an upper room, and tongues of fire fell, and the Spirit fell upon them in a new way. And now they find themselves once again joining one another in prayer and the walls literally shake. 
your prayers shake the walls. Now, I know me and Emily's arguing sometimes shakes the walls, but do our prayers together shake the walls? Seriously. Do our prayers have the effect that it is shaking and we see aftershock of it all around us? Because we are praying for more boldness. We are praying for more mission. We are praying that all of us in here would come together as one in unity. And our prayers are shaking the walls. The persecution of the apostles, they persevered through it. And because they persevered, it brought forth a spiritual aftershock. And because they did not quit, and because they saw the Lord and saw the scriptures, they, got, they received more spiritual boldness. And this is what it led to. This is where we close this morning. As we close Acts chapter 4, let's read the last few verses starting in verse 32. The spiritual aftershock that we see here. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common. With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And a great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them because all of those who owned lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person that had any need. And then verse 36, we're introduced to Joseph, the Levite, from, from Cyprus by birth, and one of, the, one of the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. And Joseph sold a field that he owned and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All things in common. We saw this in Acts chapter 2. We saw that they had all things in common because they had the main thing in common. They had the gospel in common. They had the Lord in common. And they not only that, but the apostles received great grace for what they prayed for. Not only did the believers have everything in common, but did you notice what it said? There was a great grace upon them, and the Lord bestowed grace upon them to preach Jesus even more boldly. They got what they prayed for. Lord, give us more boldness. Don't, don't make us afraid. Give us more boldness. And they got it. And guys, this is what community does. When our community is centered around this idea of boldness for the sake of mission, we pray for one another. We give to one another. We see one another. Literally. We take care of one another. We encourage one another. When you are suffering, I am suffering because we're on mission together. When you have joys, when you have a baby, when you have a marriage, when you have a graduation, we all celebrate that. Because we are in this together for the sake of mission. Sometimes we don't need to pray for boldness because we need to come together. We need to pray for boldness because we don't like each other. And we need to get over that. And realize that not everybody in here is exactly like the other person. Sometimes we just need boldness to say, Lord, I really don't like Adam. But there's some mission going on there that I want to be a part of. Would you allow me in grace to maybe start liking him a little bit, but nevertheless keep my eyes forward? You see, next week is our one-year anniversary. Do you realize what it means for a church to be planted during COVID to last one year? And this is not because I'm great. This is not because Emily's great. This is not because we had a perfect plan. COVID was not our church planting timeline strategy. Seminary didn't teach that. But guys, the Lord has been so kind. Because what happens in the face of opposition? Like a global pandemic. More churches are planted. My buddy just moved to Greensboro this week, Grant. He's going to be planting Renewal Church in Greensboro. 
reaching a different part of Greensboro than any other church has reached, reaching only people that Renewal Church was called to reach. The church is being planted even in the sake of opposition, in the face of opposition. And next week is our one-year anniversary. And I hope that you guys will come back as we celebrate the community that God has built here. The community that we have seen, we were filming some folks before service, just, just getting their, their, their language into like, how, how has this church impacted you? Hearing a voice of, of how this church has impacted you, and it was remarkable. Everybody said a different thing. But everybody really just focused it back to Jesus is in this place. Guys, we are going to celebrate one year together, and I hope you'll be there for that, because what we see in Acts, throughout the book of Acts, that these people had all things in common because they had the main thing in common. If you and I are in Jesus this morning, we have the main thing in common. So we can come together and do remarkable things. And as Acts goes on, we are introduced to Joseph, who sold a field and gave the proceeds to the apostles. Now, we're not going to get into it today because next week we're going to see a stark contrast between this man and a couple. So, you know, as the Lord would have it, our passage next week, people die, and we're just going to do it because that's where the Lord has us on our one-year anniversary. And so we're not going to get into much of it today because we're going to study it next week. But today, church, don't miss this. We've studied the formula for the sake of mission. Bold prayers in the face of all opposition. The mission is too big not to invite the Lord of all creation to embolden us. Do you realize that? We could not have planted this church if it was not for the Lord. If the Lord is not in it, it will fail. And so we lift our voices in good times, but especially in bad. We lift our voices to the one who is sovereign. We open the scriptures and read the words that are reliable. And for the sake of mission, we pray for more boldness. As we recognize who he is, as we recognize what the scriptures hold, it's just a natural reaction for us. And there will be a spiritual aftershock. I believe this. There will be a spiritual aftershock, not just for this town, but for this city, but for this, this state, this nation, and this world. Planting churches, making disciples. We're praying big prayers like that. And guys, don't... If we just turn on social media or the news, our world is just going to hell in a handbasket, right? That's, that's, that's what the headlines are. But what if God is preparing us for something in this moment? That what if all this opposition that we're seeing, he is preparing this world for something great? What if the next great revival is about to break out? Would you and I have that hopeful optimism? We don't turn a blind eye. We don't keep our head in the sand. But I heard one guy say, we win in the end, so why do we care about the score in the third quarter? What if God is doing something miraculous in this moment? And just like the apostles, we could gather together, lift our voices to one accord, to the God who still has everything under control when our world looks like it's in chaos. What if? What if we did that? I think we'd see a spiritual aftershock. 